Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ in Northampton, Pennsylvania. My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday sermons. I pray that they'll be a blessing to you, and if you're ever in the area, please stop in and worship with us. We'd love to have you. Thank you for that excellent reading. Good morning. So I'm going to speak primarily through on the portion from Acts, but uh, during the reading of the Gospel of Luke, something just popped into my mind that ties in really well with what we're about to talk about. So, and it kind of echoes what we talked about last week, you know, with, with, we talked about doubting Thomas and how sometimes we think Thomas gets a bad rap and, and before Jesus appears to, the, to Thomas, he appears to the disciples in the room and he shows them the hands and so forth. And we see this restated in, in, in Luke's account. Uh, and then we see Jesus in, in reappearing to Thomas and, you know, touch, touch you know, see, look, see my wounds. But I, I like what this Luke passage says here. And, and last week in John, Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And we talked about how that like, kind of links the story to God's creation of the world in Genesis chapter 1 and how he's breathing new life into his people. But what I like about this, this portion from Luke is Jesus, it says that he explained to them, hey, remember all things that were written about me should be fulfilled. And then it says something interesting. He, he opened their mind to understand the scriptures. And that's a very small verse, but very, very important. A very small verse, but very important. Jesus gives them and his followers the ability to understand the scriptures, to see him in those scriptures, to interpret the Hebrew scriptures is what he's talking about, the Psalms and the prophets and the writings about how all of that points to the coming Messiah who Jesus was and who Jesus is. And so apart from Jesus gifting his people with that ability, scripture, people can, scholars can study scripture and a lot of modern, a, a lot of modern scholarship done with scripture, many of whom are people who do not believe the claims of Jesus. And so in some sense, they can dig into the historical stuff and the contextual stuff and the background, but there's still that one bit that will always elude them is that faith in Jesus Christ is the ability or that key to understand the scriptures. Not only to understand them, but to preach the scriptures. And the reason why that's important, brothers and sisters, is because of Peter's sermon here in Acts chapter 3. Peter would never have preached a sermon like that a couple weeks ago, on their timeline anyway. Because we see this is the second sermon of Peter. Uh, the first one was, was just after Pentecost, which we'll actually read when we get to Pentecost Sunday. But at this point in the story, the Holy Spirit has already been given to, uh, to the disciples. And so Jesus, being the key to understand the scriptures, gives the apostolic preaching its power, its authority, and it grounds it in the story of God in the Old Testament. So Peter and John here are going to the temple to pray at around 3 p.m. We see this a few verses, a few verses earlier. So they're going around to the temple to pray, and, and, and the Hebrew people, they set hours of the day apart to pray. And Christians, uh, who were predominantly Jewish at the beginning, they adopted this practice, and this practice continues in many Christian groups to this day. 
And like I said, we saw the Holy Spirit had already fallen on the apostles in this part of, of the story. And so Peter and John, they're on their way to the temple to worship, as was their custom. And so they meet a beggar. They meet a beggar who, has, who asks them for money, who, who, who can't walk. And they say, well, we don't have any money to give you, but they're going to wind up giving him something better, something of what they did have. And what they did have, brothers and sisters, that they could give him was the gift of the Spirit. That same Spirit that St. Paul reminds us in Romans that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, dwells in them. And they, Peter commands him to walk, and he does. He says, I remember we sang this song in Sunday school, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then he went walking and leaping and praising God, right? We see that in the story. We don't have any money to give you, but what we do have to give you, we're going to. And, they, and Peter raises him up and he walks and everybody is astounded. And they kind of come, basically kind of come, come running to, to take a look at what's going on. So people see this guy every day begging. They realize what happened. Hey, this is the guy that used to sit over here at this gate asking for money every time we would go in to pray. And now he can walk and he's running around. And they wonder what had happened. And so this leads us to the very easy question, brothers and sisters, who was known for performing these kind of miracles not too much earlier? It was Jesus, right? So people might start thinking, what's going on here? What's happening? And, and before we even get to this story in Acts chapter 3, we have Acts chapter 2 at the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell and the Jews from the diaspora who are spread out all over the world when they're speaking in tongues, they hear the mysteries of God in their own languages. Peter gets up and he preaches a message and 3,000 people are converted. It's a miracle. So you have... I think this very interesting atmosphere in Jerusalem where you have the fear of the disciples for what's going to happen to them because Jesus was crucified, then Jesus' resurrection, and then Jesus spends a bunch of time with them, and then he ascends into heaven, and they receive the Spirit, and then they start doing the works here that Jesus was doing himself while he was on the earth. And so people run to Peter and John. They want to check out what's going on, and Peter uses this as an opportunity to preach. And he says, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or our own piety we have made him walk? There's nothing about us that's especially good, he's saying. It's not any power that we have in ourselves. It's not because we prayed enough. It's not because we spent enough time fasting that this has happened. The reason why this has happened is because of Jesus. And it's also, I think, Peter trying to show that he's not trying to grab glory for himself. He's not trying to grab glory for John. He's trying to move the attention from himself over to the person who actually did do the miracle. I can't help, brothers and sisters, because this is the way I think, and this is kind of my background. I can't help but think of people who perform miracles in Scripture always turn and they point to Jesus. When Paul in the book of Acts, is, he's walking down the street, and a demon-possessed woman is, is following him, saying, this man is a servant of the Most High God who shows us the way to salvation. He turns around, he rebukes it, the demon leaves the woman, and 
they say, oh, you're great. You must be Jupiter. And he's like, no, 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 no. And then he preaches Jesus to them. There's a lot of people nowadays who claim to have the power to heal. They have big ministries and they fly around all over the place. But the focus, brothers and sisters, is on them, not on, on Jesus. Peter and John are saying, not us. Not a special gift that we have. It's not a special anointing that we have. Faith in Jesus Christ has cured this man. And then he says, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Right? So Peter begins his sermon by saying, it's not us. It's our God. The God of our fathers. This isn't something that we've done in and of ourselves. What has happened has its roots in the God that we worship, in the God of Israel. Jesus is his servant. You have denied him. You freed a murderer instead, and you killed the author of life. Peter gets real very fast in this sermon, right? He goes from, hey, we didn't do this. This is the God of our fathers. By the way, you denied God. <laughs> you didn't listen to his servant, and you killed him. And God raised him from the dead. Oh, and by the way, that murderer, Barabbas, yeah, remember that? I bet you really regret that now, right? Like a couple months afterwards. You probably regret that. You let a murderer go free. Peter gets really harsh with them for a second, right? Have you ever had a conversation with somebody like that? You're just talking about something, and then they get very real very quick, and you're like, whoa. And then they're like, yeah, and they segue off into something light and fluffy and airy again, and you're left wondering, like, what the heck just happened? It's kind of like this with Peter's sermon here. You killed him, you denied him, you freed a murderer, and he says you killed the author of life, which sounds like a paradox, right? The author of life, the source of life, you killed the source of life. But God raised him from the dead, and then he says we are witnesses. We are witnesses. Luke says, who's also the author of the book of Acts, Luke takes very great pains to note that when he puts together his gospel, he didn't just make it up. As he went around because they were still alive and he interviewed, there's even hints that he interviewed Mary and he interviewed the followers of Jesus that were there and he compiles his gospel from the followers of Jesus that were still alive at the time, that there were witnesses to what actually had happened. And Peter says, Jesus has actually healed this man through faith in his name. So then after getting real harsh with them, right, getting very, very harsh with them, then he softens his tone a little bit, right? First, he's like, you killed him. And then he goes, but you did it in ignorance. So he kind of gives them a little bit of an out, right? He's a little harsh with them, but then he's a little kinder to them too. It's interesting how he, how he preaches that here in, the, in, in this sermon. He says, I know that you acted in ignorance. You didn't really know, even though the prophets and the scriptures all said that this was going to happen. You acted in ignorance. You didn't know. And it should make us think, brothers and sisters, of Jesus' own cry on the cross as he's being crucified. What does he pray for the people crucifying? Forgive them, Father. They do not know what they are doing. And Peter says, you acted in ignorance. But you didn't know. But now you do. <laughs> now you do. You don't have any excuse anymore. And this man being healed, this is a sign of that reality. Now, in response to this, repent 
and be converted. And we see here, according to the great church historian Yaroslav Pelikan, we see the picture of what apostolic preaching is in the New Testament and onwards, that Jesus suffered, that Jesus rose, and that Jesus is the Messiah, that this is the core of apostolic preaching. And it's the core of our preaching too, brothers and sisters, that Jesus suffered for our sake, that he rose again from death, and that he is the Messiah. And then it says, repent and be converted, that times of refreshing might come from the presence of the Lord. So you might think to yourselves, well, what's that? Anybody think that? I, I thought that. What are, what are these times of refreshing that's supposed to come from the presence of the Lord? One of the church fathers, St. John Chrysostom, he says it's an obscure reference to the resurrection. I don't think he's far be it for me to disagree with St. John Chrysostom, but I think he's kind of right, but I don't think that's all there is to it. So there's a fancy word I'm going to throw out at you, okay, but I'm going to tell you what it means. It's the parousia, right, which is the return of Christ. That's the term, the parousia, parousia, where the resurrection will happen, right, but it's also within the scope of of restoration, right? Of, of the restoration and the reordering and the renewing of all creation. The parousia and the return of Christ, the final judgment. Some say that, no, it's not that. It's the experience that the apostles had in Acts chapter 2 of being with, filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues like what our Pentecostal friends, that's their point of view on this scripture. But I think that the times of refreshing are sort of an amalgamation of kind of all of these things because all of these things are falling in line with what has been revealed in scripture. Because remember, Jesus gives them the ability to understand the scriptures. Remember that Jesus, or Peter ties in this healing with the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, his servant Jesus. This man has been healed through faith in his name. And so I think that it's a mixture of kind of all of these things is that it is the hope of the resurrection. It is the return of Christ. It is the restoration and the renewal of all things. But times of refreshing also, brothers and sisters, I believe, as we're waiting for the consummation of the kingdom of God, right? we are being refreshed now. It's not just something that's stored up for us in the future. It's something that we can experience now. Some people, when they preach and when they teach, they talk about the goodness and the love of God and, and the benefits of, of, of being in Christ, and they make it only as something to be experienced in the future after we're dead and we're buried and then we're resurrected. Then we can experience life in God. But no, that doesn't just start then. We get to start to begin to live in that experience now, that the life of the Spirit of God is in us. And like Peter and John, is lived out through us. That life that Christ gives lives out through us. And we're being refreshed in our baptism. We're being refreshed as we are fed at the table. But times of refreshing involves also, brothers and sisters, the kingdom work that we do here and now to steal from the theologian N.T. Wright as we build for the kingdom. Some people say, no, we have to build the kingdom of God. No, God builds his kingdom. We work for him. We build for the kingdom. We build for the kingdom as we await the parousia, as we await our Lord's return, as we await him making all things new. We are part of that times of refreshing, even as we experience, our, experience that ourselves. And so reflecting on this passage, brothers and sisters, in the book of Acts, just like Peter 
when he said, this guy wasn't healed by any particular, wasn't healed by our power or any piety that we have. I think sometimes when we receive something good from God, often we're quick to attach something to it. I was super holy this week, so God did this for me. (laughs) I listened to my parents, so I did well on my tests this week. I gave a lot, so God made this thing happen for me. I'm very, very pious. I time out my quiet time. I'm exactly an hour. As soon as my knees hit, I'm all business. And because I do that, God is definitely going to reward me for how holy, how pious, and how devoted to him that I am. He is now obliged to answer my prayer because of something that I've done or something that's super special about me. Brothers and sisters, if that's the case, then it makes our relationship with God sound like a transaction. It's like, how much is that Coke? It's a buck fifty. Here you go. Here's a buck fifty. Thank you for the Coke. I'll be on my way. Oftentimes we approach God like that, as if our relationship with Him is transactional. If I do this for you, God, do this for me. Instead of that relationship that is a gift of his love and of his grace. And transactional religion, brothers and sisters, it's paganism. It's paganism. So if if I was in the ancient world and I planted crops and I wanted my crops to grow, what would I do? I would go to the temple of one of the gods, whoever was the god of the harvest, and then I would make the appropriate sacrifices to the god of the harvest, and then in response to the appropriate sacrifices to the god of the harvest, the god of the harvest would receive that sacrifice, and he would say, sacrifice accepted, zap. Your crops are going to be great this year. You're growing some extra special hops, boom, you're going to have like the best beer in the world for the next couple of years because you brought to me the appropriate sacrifice. That's how paganism worship, uh, pagan worship worked in the ancient world. I do this for the gods and the gods do this for me. And we see that in a lot of American, modern American Christianity, brothers and sisters. I think that's dangerous. Some Christians use faith as a kind of magic. Have you noticed that? Some people use faith as, like, as magic. If I say the right thing, if I have the right attitude, if I do the right thing, then I obligate God to do something for me in return, to reward me for my goodness. But brothers and sisters, we have to realize the goodness that is, that is in us, that we possess, is a gift of God's grace itself. Peter then ties in the healing of the paralytic as being the ongoing work of Jesus Christ. He uses this amazing miracle as a sign pointing to Jesus. And then the people see this. The people gather. He he says, repent and be converted. And just like for them, brothers and sisters, for us, ignorance is no longer an excuse. Now that we have countered Christ, now that we have seen, now that we have heard, now that we have believed, we are to perpetually be Converted. I'm not talking about being converted where every time I do something wrong, I say, oh God, I'm not saved anymore. Please forgive me. And I have to say the sinner's prayer all over again. I'm not, I'm not, that's not what I mean. Because there are people like that who in a desire to serve and to love God believe that whenever they do something wrong, that they have to get saved all over again. No, to be continually converted means to continually turn our hearts towards God every single day 
that every decision that we make, everything that we do, that we turn our hearts in the direction to where God is leading us. Repent and be converted. And this inner restoration that these people will receive, that we have received, right, is that all who have faith in Christ's name, all of us who will receive that, it's modeled by the physical healing of the paralytic man, right? So the way we receive is by hearing the message of Jesus and repenting and turning towards him. Then this times of refreshing, this glorious walk of faith we experience will be ours just as it was theirs. And every day, we should remember that we should keep our hearts turned towards our Lord Jesus. When we do that, the freedom and the refreshment of the Spirit, fully realized in the age to come, will be something that we experience a little bit of right now. That that love and that that healing that Christ offers us is something that we begin to experience now. And that love that Christ offers that healing that he offers, it can manifest itself in physical healing. It also manifests itself in spiritual healing, which I think is the primary healing that's going on here. But we see God's love, God's goodness, and God's mercy on full display in this story. And so like Peter said, let us put our faith in Jesus Christ. Let us continue to put our faith in Jesus Christ that we will experience his love, but then we can turn around and like Peter and John say to those we come in contact with, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And that, brothers and sisters, is something that we're all called to do, that we're all called to share. And it's a gift that we are all called to to offer to those around us who are, who are hurt and broken, people who might not be paralyzed in their legs, people who might not be paralyzed in their bodies, but people who may be paralyzed in their souls. God is calling us to love them. God is calling us to serve them. And God is calling us to bring Christ's healing to them. So let's start to look for ways in the people that we encounter that we can give something of what God has given us to them. That something of the goodness and the love that God has given to us, we can give to them. Even if it's something small. That the goodness and the love and the mercy of God that he's bestowed on us, that we can take, even if it's just a drop, that we can take some of that and give it to them. And by so doing, bring them to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ to whom is due all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting and is all holy, good, and life-giving spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. You know, our church has deep roots here in the community and we predate the founding of the United States itself. If you're looking for a church that is biblically faithful and traditionally grounded, come visit us. We may just be the church for you. You can find us online, zionsstoneucc.com. You can find us on Facebook as well, zionsstoneucc. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman. If you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at malandsman at gmail.com. Once again, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. May God bless you.